Hey, what's going on, you guys? Welcome back to Forgiven AF Podcast. My name is Sean. I'm your host. And we do this podcast for marketing material for our mentorship program. So we have a mentorship program here in Mansfield, Texas called Second Chance Mentors. And what we do is we come alongside kids that have been kicked out of the school for either fighting or drugs. We pair them up with a mentor and they have requirements that they need to do every month just to try to help them get back into school, just stay out of trouble, just to show them that they have people that care. Because believe it or not, there's a lot of kids in these school districts and not just here in Mansfield, but everyone that don't have anybody that cares about their report card or doesn't have anyone that wants to encourage them to do good. So we try to fill that gap as much as we can. Um, obviously, there's only so much that we can do, but if we help one or two kids, I think it's all worth it. Um, and we actually took, this is one of the first times this has happened. We had a kid from the program actually move away. Uh, he moved to Dallas, which isn't too far, but it's a little bit too far to still be like fully engaged in the program. And I'm kind of struggling with that because it, it seems like I you know lost a friend or lost a son, you know, so... But we're going to keep in touch and help him as much as we can. But it's it's still hard to watch that because he moved in with his dad and it's not really a great situation. But anyways, enough about that. Thank you guys for y'all that do pour into the program. Um, a lot of you know people donate and that's how we're able to do what we do. Uh, secondchancementors.org is the website if you're interested in supporting us or kind of see what we have going on. Um, we'd love to have you you know join in on what we're doing. But now on to the show. So... I know I say this every time, but it's another awesome guest. This guest is different because this is one of my really good friends. And I want to tell a story. When I first came to the Mansfield area, when I got out of prison and I came to the Mansfield area, I'd been here about a year and we were opening our gym. Uh, I'll never forget my buddy, Jesse Jackson, who's here today, actually sent me a message and like just of encouragement. It was really like, hey, man, I see what you're doing. Um, I'm really proud of you. Welcome to the area. Literally, let me know if there's anything I can do to help you. And I was just starting a gym. And and as you'll hear in a couple of minutes, he actually owns two gyms in the area himself. And I was just blown away by that because most people have such a competition mindset. And I do, I'm, well, I'll let you get to it in a second. I, hopefully you remember that. But mm-hmm. um, I thought it was super encouraging. And really, it, it really made a huge lasting impression on like, wow, this is, I learned how we, I need to treat other gym owners and other people who are in that sort of space. You know what I mean? So Jesse, thank you for being here. Um, can you go ahead and just maybe give our listeners just a quick intro of like who you are, where you come from? and Yeah, it's, it's great to be on here, man. Thanks for the opportunity. So I'm Jesse. I'm 33. Uh, I live in Arlington uh, here in Texas. And I've been in Texas, lived here since 2012. I was raised in Paris, Texas from 2001 to 2007 or 1999 to 2007 as a boy. So most of my life has been in Texas. Uh, I was born in Indiana. Had a brief stint where I lived with my grandparents in Oklahoma City, um, but most of my life has been in Texas. So I'm not like a hardcore Texan, but uh, I know enough about Texas to say, yeah, I'm probably from Texas. So uh, I'm married, wonderful wife, Charity. She's the love of my life. I have three wonderful children in my life, two girls and a boy that keep me motivated and keep me grounded in a lot of areas. And yeah, so I own two gyms, Inner Strength Fitness. Uh, one's in Central to South Arlington, one's in North Arlington. Uh, Inner Strength Fitness is the name. And we specialize in age 50 plus personal training. Of course, we've talked about that so many times over the years. And people are always interested in why the age 50 plus, and I'm sure we'll get in, into that you know, sometime today. But yeah, that's what, I, what I'm about, man. My family, 
business, my faith, and golf. And as golf, you know, <laughs> and golf. That's one. Of, that's yeah. where we see each other the most is on the golf course. But <laughs> believe it or not, we have conversations that are different than you normally have on a golf course. I feel like every time we get together and play golf, we check in more than I do with like most men. Like, hey, how are you doing in life? Like, how's business? Where are you struggling? How can I help you with? You know what I mean? And it's just so it's always good, encouraging conversation. So I really enjoy that time that we get together on the golf course, man. Yeah. Um, one thing that I want to dive into that has been something that's um, learning from you and how is kind of how you grew up. Um, can you, do you mind sharing, you kind of come from like a, a, a religious background kind of, do you, can you kind of break that down for us? Yeah, absolutely. So I come from a very, very stern religious background and I don't say anything about what I'm about to say with animosity or anger. I'm just going to say it as it is. So I grew up in a world called the independent fundamental Baptist church. And if you Google them or if you look them up on your phone as you're watching this, they will typically be associated with cultists or hardcore religious activists that will be standing outside the courthouse with signs that are very, you know, anti-gay or anti-abortion. And I'm not saying, you know, yes or no to that stuff. I'm just saying these are very, very vocal people in a fire and brimstone kind of approach to how they perceive our relationship with God and our fellow mankind. I was raised to be a preacher um, from the first time I ever remember being in front of people giving a lesson from the Bible. I was five years old, literally teaching a little lesson to my own Sunday school teammates there, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, in a world full of people that are typically very, very nervous to be in front of people speaking, I started doing it as early as five years old because I was born and raised to be that preacher in that environment, you know? Um, was it a lot of pressure? Did you feel pressure at a young age from that? Because it's the only thing I knew, I never associated it with pressure. Um, I look back now and realize that there was more pressure on me than what I personally ever consciously came to yeah. realize. The pressure came from just the sheer amount of crazy standards. You know, I know probably a lot of the people listening to this, you know, there's a lot of boys that maybe don't have enough discipline in their life, or maybe they don't have enough structure in their life, or positive structure, yeah. I would say. I come from the exact opposite. I come from a place where there was so much structure and so much rigidity, so much control that if you don't, if you put that on any person, let alone a young boy, they're going to eventually rebel or they're going to become a version of a man you cannot respect. So right. that's, and I've heard that, that it, sometimes stuff like that. And I don't know if this happened to you. Do you feel like that sort of life, like kind of maybe pushed you away at any point? You know, do you feel like mm -hmm. I hear of a lot of kids that are raised in that sort of environment end up like walking away from God at some point? Yeah, I definitely did. I was 18 years old. You know, I'd already graduated. I was homeschooled all grown up for religious purposes. They wanted absolute autonomy and control over what I thought, what I was taught, how I was supposed to be, who I was supposed to become. And again, I don't say this to bash people in my past. It's, just, yeah. it's my story. And when I was 18, you know, I, I got sent to a Bible college where I was going to get prepared to preach the word and, and be the next, you know, Billy, Billy Sunday or Billy Graham or whatever. And I just had enough, you know, I don't, I don't need to go into all the details there, yeah. but uh, eventually I left, I got kicked out and left kind of simultaneously. I got excommunicated from my family, from the church. Uh, my father wasn't in my life past the age of five, so I'd already had to deal with that loss. And then whenever that happened, 
it was a pretty low period for me uh, to, to leave all that. And I definitely still had my faith and still believed in God, but I never experienced it from the perspective of God is a safe place, a place of rest, a place of love, a place of guidance. I only experienced my faith with Christ from a position of God's watching me, he's judging me, he's condemning me, I'm never good enough. You know, that Which did, is so opposite of what God wants you to feel. Yeah. You know, God wants you yeah. to feel love and grace and, hey, I know you're going to mess up, but it's okay. Yeah. Let's keep pushing. See, that would be really tough. Um, I feel like that would definitely push people away and scare people. Do you think there's any correlation between your, like, I hear a lot of times, sometimes it's hard for a person to fully understand and grasp the love of God if they didn't have a father that was loving like that, you know, because there's always that correlation between father and father. I'm so happy you brought that up because my father was not there past the age of five. I would honestly say the way I relate to, I've related to God most of my life, not anymore, but yeah. most of my life was this mysterious, can't quite understand him figure. Yeah. And that mirrored, and I, I've, I still go to Christian counseling every month. Yeah, me too. And it's, I love that. I'm yeah. a huge advocate for that. Uh, I'm an advocate of any man going, whether you think your life's in shambles or not, I think you still need a place of accountability and honesty. But to speak to speak back to your question, my father's absence definitely mirrored what I felt was an absence of God. And, and I now know that's not the case. Yeah. But the the best way I've learned to relate to God now is as my father. That's you know, so good. God goes by many names. And, you know, my story of healing and coming back to my faith is a different story. But yeah. Yeah, the lack of a father in most boys' life will typically show itself in his relationship to God. And that doesn't always have to be the case because God is bigger than any one man. Yeah. But yeah, I would 100% agree with what you said. Can we hit on how you end up coming back to your faith? Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those things where there wasn't one singular moment. Okay. Um, Let's just say that between the ages of about 18 and 28, I'd say a 10-year span of time, you know, there's a story of the prodigal son in Scripture that leaves his father's house and wants to do his own thing and wants the blessings now. Well, I left home and left the cult at 18. And people would be very empathetic. Most people are understanding of why the world would you want to stay there. But I didn't know how to go from that extreme to some sort of a moderate middle where it was more God is loving and God is kind and God is your friend. Yeah. And... Coming back to my faith was a series of experiences and mistakes over a 10-year span of time where I realized doing things my way will not work. Mm, that's so good. I need something bigger than me to surrender to. And I still fail at that. I'm not saying I've got that figured out, but I had to come to a point where I realized that trying to build my business even on my own strength all the time, trying to be a good husband by my own wisdom or my own limited finite knowledge, trying to be a good example and provider as a father now, trying to be a good team leader to my employees and leader to the clients in my business. Like These are all things that I need something much more strong and wise than me to follow. And you know, I'll be the first to tell you I went through a divorce because when I first got married, all I cared about was my ambition and building a business and being successful and doing things in my own strength and my own power. And it wasn't healthy. It wasn't healthy at all. And so I went through a phase of mistakes and series of experiences where I was exhausted and I had gone through a divorce. You know, I have a beautiful son from my first marriage, but I don't get to see him that much. 
these are all experiences that cause me One to thing, realize I want to interrupt you real quick, though. One thing that I've always honored about and thought so highly about you is when you do, you take advantage of every opportunity mm-hmm. you do have to get that little boy. Mm-hmm. And when you do, you put everything into him, man. Okay. So, like, I just want to make sure that that's – it's not like you – just don't want to see him or you don't like you really whenever you have him you're all in dude and i really respect that yeah. so definitely Thanks, man thank you yeah so i mean i love my son i see him as often as i possibly can and he knows i love him and yeah. you know i'll do anything for him um but those experiences made me realize i cannot keep living my life the way i'm living it and expect to be fulfilled or on purpose and there was a moment you know my i go to rush creek and uh, my pastor, Scott Oldenburg, at the Mansfield mm-hmm. West location, uh, has shown me nothing but unconditional love and grace. And his mentorship and his guidance has really caused me to come back to a place where I now trust in Christ. I now trust that I don't have to have all the answers all the time. So, yeah, that, there's not a, lot, not a lot of detail I'm putting no, in there, but a 10-year period of time of failures and mistakes, I was like, I got to change. Yeah, that's. You know? I mean, that's perfect. And mm-hmm. and then it's cool that you had kind of a spiritual mentor with Scott, that mm-hmm. someone that could kind of walk you back through coming back, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And just kind of showing you that God's about love and not, hey, you're in trouble, which I always thought was. So now kind of switching speeds a little bit, how did you get into fitness? So when I left the cult, I was 18, and... It was a really emotional period of time for me because I was homeschooled. All the only people I ever spent any time around were my family or people from the church or the cult that I was a part of. And when I left, uh, a guy I was working with had a spare bedroom and he's like, hey, you can come live with me because I had no money. I had no place to go. And he was kind enough to give me a place to stay. Well, I just said yes, because I had no other option at that time. And I didn't realize he was a party animal. And... I was offered to do cocaine, start drinking, and I was literally shaking because I was about to say yes, and something inside of me said no. I'm just not not quite ready yet, you know. Yeah. And where I was emotionally, you can imagine, I was overwhelmed by the reality of the world that I'd never grown up in. I was completely hurt and felt abandoned because my father was never there. My family's now no longer there. All my friends who supposedly call me friends were not reaching out. I was excommunicated. I didn't yeah. know anybody except for one best friend who also left the cult with me and a few people at work. That's it. So I just felt super alone. And I was in a very vulnerable place to really wreck up my life. And the overwhelm of that, I was in my car driving one day and it just all hit me super hard. I had like a cathartic outbreak. I was screaming, crying. You know, I pulled over no parking lot and I'm like pounding my hand on the steering wheel kind of moment because I was just so full of anger and confusion and emotion that I never knew how to process or didn't have the tools to process. And I just finally said, God, I don't know if you're there. I don't know if you're listening to me, but I need help. It's, (laughs) I kind of get emotional thinking about it now. I'm trying not to cry over Um, here. So I look up and there's a gym right there called all American fitness. (laughs) And I don't, I was not planning on working out. It wasn't even on my radar. And something prompted me to go in there and start working out. And so I go in there, and that gym's not even in existence anymore. And I signed up for a membership. I don't even know how I had the money to sign up for a membership. But they set me up with a trainer when I got a membership named Trevor. And Trevor, man, he's like this five foot seven, five foot eight, just perfect bodybuilder guy. I mean, he's he's intimidating, but he's uh, he's from Louisiana, had kind of a Cajun yeah. Bayou accent, and was friendly, but man, like 
he, he did an assessment on me and he didn't just do a physical assessment on me. It wasn't just like a transaction. He really said, Hey, why do you want to do this? What's going on, man? Like he really was like a hundred percent fully present there with me. And he let me sit there and just cry my eyes out for like two hours because yeah. I was just talking about everything going on. Yeah. So I started training with Trevor. I, I went to him for two one-on-one personal training sessions a week. I have no idea how I afforded it. I was making like 13 bucks an hour at a warehouse job trying to make ends meet. And, but that, that was important to me. And like Tuesdays and Thursdays at one or two o'clock in the afternoon, I'd go for these one-on-one training sessions. And I did that for probably a year to year and a half with him in that structure where I felt safe with someone, he was investing in me. Fitness became an outlet for me where I looked forward to it, which is more productive than, you know, the party life that I was tempted to start getting into that impacted me so tremendously that, you know, a year or two after I had stopped training with him because he was in the military reserves, he got called over to Iraq. Um, and I had, decided to go to another college at Oklahoma Christian University to finish my education there. That experience left such a positive impact on me that I said, you know what, this is something I think I could, I'd like to do for people. That's do what Trevor did for me. And to honor Trevor, I'll say this, I called that gym five or six years ago when I think it was on its last leg to, I just said, Hey, I I just want to talk to Trevor. I don't, I don't know how to get a hold of him. I, I I can't find him online. And when I called the gym, the owner, the guy who actually signed me up, picked up. And I was like, hey, man, this is Jesse Jackson. I don't know if you remember who I am, but I used to train with Trevor. And, man, I own two gyms now. Uh, right at the time, I only owned one. But I said, I'd just like to say thank you because now I'm a trainer. I got a gym. He, he helped in astronomically start That's so this. cool. And I called, and he said, man, I don't know how to tell you this, man, but he unfortunately died in the Iraq War. Oh, that's hard. And... My heart just sunk, man. And so part of my purpose behind just wanting to impact lives goes back to, I'm like, man, I know what it's like to be the client. I know what it's like to be in that vulnerable spot for other reasons. I wasn't, you know, out of shape or obese or anything yeah. like that. I was just super skinny. You played time. basketball, right? Were you a basketball player? Yeah, I played, I played basketball growing up. Um, I played briefly for Oklahoma Christian University. Yeah, I thought so. Um, blew out my knee, and so that was the end of that. And the... Uh, but that's how I got into fitness, man, was just, you know, working working with him and, you know, his impact on my life. I was like, you know, I'd like to do this for other people. One thing that I think people don't realize, when people think of personal trainers or trainers or coaches, whatever you want to call it, people think it's just like counting reps and counting sets. Mm-hmm. They don't really realize how, I would say more than 50% of what we do is mental with our clients, right? It's mm-hmm. more of like building their confidence and being willing to listen to and prying into their why so that you can use that, you know, when you, when they're starting to slack off or they need some more motivation, you know, it's almost like we're counselors as much as we are trainers and and people don't really realize that they think we're just meatheads that, you know, throw some weights at people and you know what I mean? Yeah. We're professional burden bearers a lot of the time. A lot of time. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, it's so true, man. And that's why what we do is it's really important because there's a lot of people that don't have anybody like that in their life like think about what like exactly what trevor did for you Mm -hmm. i mean how many people that we do the same thing for that we don't even realize that we are who they come to to you know what i mean it's not just about working out um so now we get moved to the you before you got into the 15 over space you first did you used to work at 24 hour fitness Mm -hmm. i think isn't that how that worked so you started there and then you decided to branch off into your own yeah, I moved to Arlington uh, New Year's Day of 2012. 
uh, partially to chase a girl. Uh, the girl didn't work out, but the career did. <laughs> and I worked there for almost three years. And what I noticed within the first six to 12 months of being a personal trainer, and I've been doing this for about 13 years now, you know, 12, 13 years. I noticed within the first six to 12 months that most of the people that honestly could afford my services were middle-aged to older. Uh, the people that I personally got along with the most and felt I could impact the most were people that they weren't necessarily trying to get up on a stage yeah. and compete. They weren't necessarily trying to get their best beach body or whatnot. Not that those things are wrong at all, yeah. but I always had a heart for working with people that maybe weren't the fitness client that was marketed to supplement commercials or yeah. the model on the the dumbbell you see at the store or whatnot. Yeah. And I started my own business in February of 2014, so it's been a little over nine years now. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank that's you. A, that's a big feat in our industry. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy that it's been almost 10 years. The first four to five years was total experiment university. I just knew I wanted to help people. I tried doing large group boot camps, one-on-one -on -one training, uh, tried working to become the, the local referral for orthopedic surgeons and chiropractors and all that stuff is good, good ideas. There's merit to it. But the first four or five years was just, I know I want to help people, but how am I going to help people and have a sustainable business? Yeah. Because dude, you know how it is. I was working 70 to hundred hours a week for those first five to seven years. Yep. And that's the stuff most people don't see. Mm -mm. And even though I was in my twenties and I could handle it then it was still so exhausting it's part of the reason why my first marriage didn't work out. I was just man. about to go there. Yeah. yeah. I I was so passionate and ambitious and kind of blinded to the ambition of getting this thing going. I had nothing yeah. nothing to take home, and that's on me, and I take full responsibility for that. But I finally – you kind of have to get, to get to a point in so many areas of your life where enough is enough, where you're like, I'm sick of this, I need to change. Yeah. And taking a risk at doing or being something new – is far more valuable to me than sticking with the same old thing I've been doing. And, you know, we had seen a decent level of success the first four or five years, but it required me to still have to work 50 to 70 hours a week. Yeah. And with me having a son at the time and me wanting to have future marriage and kids, I said, I got to have something that allows me some freedom, some flexibility so I can have a life. Yeah. I still want to work. I still want to impact people. But I needed to become more intentional. And the reason why I didn't have that business yet is because honestly, I wasn't the man I needed to be. And that's okay. You have to go through things that forces you to become the man you have For to sure. be. For yep. sure. So I decided to go all in on the 50 year old market because I felt like these people were completely underappreciated, completely underserviced in the local fitness market. Yeah. And people will bring up stuff like, well, what about silver sneakers or aqua aerobics? I'm like, man. If you tell the average 50 or 55-year-old silver sneakers or aqua aerobics, they're kind of going to be a little insulted. Yeah. Because they're still pretty young. They got 10, 15 years of work left. Um, you know, 50 you know, is like the new 40, you know, yeah. kind of saying. And I decided I wanted to make a difference in lives of people that I felt would be more impacted and probably um, easier to reach than you know your standard 24-year-old who just wants to look their best on their wedding day. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Um, what sort of advice do you have for people who are starting to kind of get up in age and think that maybe exercise isn't for them? Or maybe that's a weird way to ask it. Does that make sense? Yeah. The, I think it's all about, everybody has a relationship to exercise. They have perspectives that feeds their feelings regarding the subject. 
I think a lot of people, and you would probably agree to this, think that being exercising or getting into fitness means they have to be a hundred percent all in or nothing. Yeah. And one thing I like to explain to people is what is the least amount of stuff that by doing this stuff will make an impact in our lives. And for a lot of people, yeah, for a lot of people, especially if they're 40, 50 or older, just a couple sessions a week of 10 to 30 minutes at a time of resistance training to help them keep a strong core maintain good balance, maintain good posture is the most fundamental basic stuff they can do to get better. So I always tell people, don't put pressure on yourself to do this perfect or become some crazy all in person. That's not sustainable. It's kind of about longevity of life. Like what can we do to where for the next 10 years that when you're 70 or 60, that you can still move and you can still Mm -hmm. function? Because I think a lot of people in their mind are like, exercise, I got to go run, jump, do, you know what I mean? And it's really not the case. I mean, as you get older, the most important thing is preserving muscle, still building if you can, but at least maintaining what you have. I don't know the statistic or the number of how much, you know, at a certain age, you start to lose muscle at a rate of, but that you can overcome that by protein and, and resistance training. You know what I mean? Sarcopenia is the age related disease where, uh, even as early as the age of 30, you'll begin to lose one to 3% of your muscle mass if you don't do anything to train and it gets worse as you get to be over 50. So strength training becomes the number one thing that people 50 year older need to do just so that they can continue to function. And, you know, to answer your question for someone who's not, that interested or doesn't think that it applies to them. I think, well, if playing with your grandkids applies to you, if traveling applies to you, if playing pickleball applies, you know, pickleball applies to you, if working in the yard, whatever you care about fundamentally assumes a physical competency to do that. Yeah. So exercise doesn't have to be your first love, but you need to attach it to something you do love. That's so good. So if you, cause you can attach it to, I want to be able to play with my grandkids, then it gives them a purpose to it rather than just, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you start to get older, you maybe you don't care as much about what you look like. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of goes out the window. So then tying it into something that's functional or like that they have a passion for, that's really smart. That's, really, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great way to get yourself to form the habit of something that you may not have otherwise committed to. Have you had any sort of like business or fit, fitness like mentors along the way? I can't say yes without first thanking someone named Dr. Michelle Montgomery. She gave me my first opportunity to open up my personal training studio in her chiropractic clinic. Uh, it's called Health Source in Arlington. Yeah. She had an empty room. Um, when she first opened her clinic back in 2013, a year before I started my business, she gave me an opportunity to work part-time as a rehab specialist. I was working full-time at the gym with clients, and I did part-time work on the side with patients at her clinic. And I was just a sponge soaking up everything I could learn about fitness and science and recovery, rehab, everything I could learn. I I was just soaking it up like a sponge. And she gave me an opportunity and she was a mentor to help me get started. She gave me a really uh, great opportunity in a little 415 square foot room. I had like, you know, a couple hundred bucks in the bank and here I am trying to start my own business to try to help people get better. So uh, definitely her. I've been a part of a couple business masterminds specific for fitness professionals. You and I probably know some of the yeah. same people. I've read a lot of books over the years. And these are the things about being a business owner people don't understand. It's not like you you are always evolving and growing and learning. I mean, not a week goes by where I don't have a podcast in or I'm listening to some new book about leadership or marketing or customer service or 
fitness science or something to try to help us get better at what we do. I mean, I think if our clients knew how much we were really dedicated to helping them, they'd understand that we deserve, honestly, some of the same respect that their doctors do. Oh, absolutely. You know? Especially when they come back from the doctor and they're like, Sean, my doctor says my BMI. As soon as I hear BMI, I'm like, <laughs> bro, really? This is, you're still talking about BMI? Like, let's, yeah. it, I'm obese according to BMI, but I can see my abs. Like, right. let's go, doc. You need to do that. Those doctors need to be doing some research like we're doing to, <laughs> to really know what's going on. Let's worry about our body fat yeah. levels, not. I'm six one. I should weigh 160 pounds and look like this pencil. Like that's just you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. That whole BMI thing. Yeah. Um. So, what would you say has been like one of your hardest things or one of your struggles as far as running the business? Uh, two two things. The first one was just survival. I mean, the first five or six years, man, it was like make or break whether I was going to be able to make my car payment that month or whether or not I was even going to be able to make any money. You know, um, just being completely honest yeah. with you, it was really tough to figure out because I, I never had a vision of just being a one-man shop where just come see Jesse and work out at his studio. I always wanted to have something that was bigger than me, that impacted more people than me, that employed a team around me. And that requires you to have enough business to support paying your staff. It For requires sure. you in the first four to six years, it was me trying to figure it out and me trying to figure out how to, how do I pay bills and run a good business? And that's not an easy thing to figure out. Um, so the first few years it was survival and I think the, the, the last four or five years, it's been about uh, my position. And because I'm now more the owner-operator, I don't really work with the clients directly anymore. Yeah. And what I have seen, and I, this is not to rag on anybody, I've seen how, honestly, some clients in the past were not willing to let me grow in that position. Meaning, if I wasn't going to be their trainer anymore, they're not going to come. That's, I'm, it's funny you brought yeah. that up because I'm kind of... I've been really blessed by our members of yeah. giving me that grace because I'm kind of in a phase right now with opening the second location that I can kind of step out and now be mm -hmm. an owner instead mm -hmm. of a personal trainer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it, but it's hard. You know, sometimes I miss being on the floor. You mm -hmm. know, it's easy to just step in, but sometimes I miss being on the floor. Um, but that's something that, you know, I'm thankful that I feel like our members are kind of giving me that grace to be able to step into. Because if I want to grow this business, if I want to maybe have another location or franchise it out, I can't be on the floor training all day. It's just no. not possible. And your your wise, mature clients will understand that. And it's okay. I mean, I, again, I've had many clients that have supported me through every change we've ever gone through. Yeah. And it's thanks to them that we are where we are. But I definitely... it would. And I don't blame clients for feeling that way, it, but it definitely made it challenging where I'm like, I'm trying to grow something and I'm trying to move forward. And as I did that, I had to commit to making changes yeah. in the business. And it's it's hard. And one, you know, one of my business principles that I really almost weekly come back to is it's easier to have never offered something in the first place than, than to, to offer it and to take it back. So true. Or to change it. It's so true. So... Uh, be careful what you say yes to, but it's all the process of learning and growing. So, you know, the first first part was survival, just figuring out how to make it. And now that we're financially stable in the company, it's been more what my position requires of me is to make harder decisions as far as I got to hire the right team. I got to make sure that we're moving the needle forward. What are the next steps to continue to serve people better and impact more people? So it's all blessings. You know, I'm continually yeah. learning and growing and seeking God for wisdom through it all. So, and what, so what is the status of your, of the gyms now? You have two locations. Mm -hmm. You got two locations, one in the central South Arlington area, one in North Arlington. Um, you know, it's what we call a semi-private training facility. So we'll have four to five people that'll come into their, uh, our studio and they'll have their own personal training 
station. And at that station, we'll have technology, tablet with their own workout program on there. There's a qualified professional who is age 50 plus specialized that will walk around and let them know this is your workout for the day. Here's your modifications or progressions or regressions. So even though it's one professional working with up to five people, everybody's still getting a personalized, customized experience. And it also keeps the cost of the service down for people. Awesome. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Versus one-on-one, it may cost you 400 to a thousand a month. Yeah. You know, it, it for one to three sessions a week, we can serve people for 400 or less a month yeah. based on that model. So. That's awesome. I think it's a great model. I agree with Thank that you. whole, I'm, I'm really into trying to find a way to make it the most affordable that you can. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that is keeping the overhead down. You got it. Mm-hmm. But it is really cool. Um, something I'm really proud of is being able to employ people full time. You know what I mean? Like to be able to know that, hey, this business that we started is not only just service, helping these people, it's also supporting, you know, two or three families. You know, like as far as employee side of it. So that's something I've always been kind of proud of. You mentioned one of the challenges. I mean, one of my favorite things now is bringing on interns. We're a registered internship partner with SMU, UTA. And we'll have one or two interns come in almost every semester. And we'll mentor them. And we'll teach them what does it mean to be a real fitness professional? What does it mean to work with clients on an actual daily basis? Not just in a textbook. And uh, that's one of our favorite things is developing new professionals so that's that good. they can. And then teach them the right yeah. way, not the Instagram way. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> there's such a difference. So what do you see in the future? Do you have plans? Do you want to franchise them out? Do you want to open a third or fourth location? What do, what do you see happening? I've always envisioned 10 locations in DFW. Ooh, that's awesome. I've always envisioned that. And I'd rather shoot that high and not reach it than shoot lower than what our potential is. And I've always shot for 10 because one of the things I've always thought of in business is if I, if I had to do this location 10 times over, how would I do it at one location in such a way that it could be consistently done and please our customers across 10 locations? Um, you may have had that experience before where you go to a restaurant and one chef makes the food one way. And then all of a sudden you come back to the same restaurant and a different chef's working that day and he cooks it differently. Definitely. And now... Even even though if both chefs are good, you're set up for disappointment. So I've always envisioned 10 because it helps me align ourselves with how we should do it in the present. As far as franchising goes, I don't really know yet, to be honest with you. Um, What I care about more than anything now is being a family man. And if me chasing that requires me to not be that, it's not worth it to me. It's not worth it. I'm not a guy who is motivated that much by making more money, making more money. That's just not really who I am. What I value is impacting people, being a family man, and of course, providing well for them. Yeah. But I would like to pursue 10 locations. I like that. I don't know how we're going to get there yet, but that's, that's, that's our goal. And for the next two to three years, we'll probably still stay with the two that we have and continue to re- refine and sophisticate, but that's where we're at right now. That thought of 10 gems gives me anxiety. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Because when I opened the second one, it explode, It really exposed my disorganization. You know, with one, I could hide it and kind of keep it yeah. keep it hidden. But with two, it's really like kind of started to expose my disorganization. But it's all good. It's just part of the process I got to learn through. Um, so a question that I ask everybody at the on the show, because it's kind of something that's important to me, you know, we run the mentorship program. We have a lot of kids, you know, the 16 year old kid, what, uh, what would be one or two, it doesn't matter pieces of advice that you would have given yourself at 16, or you would give a 16 year old boy nowadays, um, that you think that would provide some impact. Mm. The first one would be follow God. I don't think you can go wrong 
following God. And the second thing to be, I guess, practical um, would be, I think it's important for every young man to learn how to name what he's feeling and thinking. Oh, that's really good. And how I would recommend a young man go through and do that, and I wish I had had someone encourage me to do that, is literally journal. What am I thinking? What are the thoughts going on in my head? And then what am I feeling? So for instance, right now on this podcast, I might be thinking, oh, I'm thinking about don't look like an idiot on camera, right? What I'm feeling maybe is a little anxious or a little hurried or a little unsettled. If you can get a young man to learn to name what he's thinking and feeling, to articulate it, it doesn't have to be beautifully articulated, but just to put a word to it, it means he is now self-aware of what he's thinking and feeling. And we have a society full of men who lack self-awareness to such heavy degrees. So good. That's why a lot of women feel their man is emotionally disconnected because he's not even connected to himself. It's so good. And so... A simple exercise is what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And if I'm able to in real time, if I'm angry or if I'm sad or if I'm frustrated, if I have the awareness to now name that I'm angry, to now name that I'm upset, I've now also given myself enough of a pause to not react to it. That's so good, dude. So I can have anger, but I don't want to live from anger. I can be sad, but I don't want to live from that place. I'm, I'm not saying to not experience those things. Yeah. We should experience those things. So I, I wish someone at 16 had told me that learning to name what I'm feeling may have helped me perform better on the basketball court. It may have helped me be better at being okay to facing rejection from a girl who may not have been interested in me. Yeah. It may have helped me Instead face my of, fears better. Kind of instead of instead of allowing those emotions and the feelings to just take over and control you kind of, right? Yeah. Because if you can think about it and you can pinpoint, oh, this is how I'm feeling, it no longer has total control over you anymore because now you're in control of that feeling. Yeah, my counselor That's has told really me, good, dude. If if you can't name it, then you're probably enslaved to it. Ooh, that's powerful. Yeah. And there's and that's so many especially you know, that's mm -hmm. really common too nowadays. And I love that you hit on the self awareness thing because yeah. I think self-awareness, I even we think we've talked about this on the podcast before, is one of the most attractive qualities in any person. Um, you can just tell when a person is self-aware or when a person is just constantly lying to themselves and, go, you know what I mean, and fooling themselves and just coming up with, you know, excuses. And But, dude, thank you so much for coming and doing this with me, man. Like, I knew this was going to be awesome, and it was even better than I thought it was going to be. You dropped a lot of really awesome information, and thank you for being vulnerable and sharing about your past. And I love you, dude. I love and, uh, you too, man. Thank yeah. you. So I think that's it for now. Remember, you guys, um, oh, how can they find you? Inner Strength Fitness. Go to our Facebook page. Uh, just type in Inner Strength Fitness Arlington, Texas, or our website at www.innerstrengthfit.com. And if you have someone 50 or older that's in need of our services, give us a call. Send them. And how about your personal Instagram? My personal Instagram is ISF, like Inner Strength Fitness underscore JJ, JJ, like Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson. Yeah. I love it. Hey, man, I love you, dude. Thank you for coming on the show. Remember, you guys, if you're listening, you're loved and you're forgiven and there's nothing you can do about it. See you guys.